This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up top of the hour, Mike Russo from The Athletic. Gord Stelic stops by and Steve Valakat as well. We'll talk about the Rangers and goaltenders. Um, Steve, of course, the owner of ClearSight Analytics, uh, the best way we have to measure and evaluate goaltenders, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in the meantime, three games on the go around the NHL this evening. You will get a chance to watch two of the great young superstars uh, going head-to-head as the New Jersey Devils with Jack Hughes face off against the Chicago Blackhawks with Connor Bedard. Ken Danico here from MSG Plus for comments from the Devils' point of view. Ken, how are you today? Thanks for being aboard. I'm good, Jeff. How are you this afternoon? And just getting ready for what you what you mentioned. A couple of really good young players. Yeah, Plenty it, of good players on both sides. Hundred <laughs> percent, and like great young talent on on both sides as well. And you know, I, I'm not sure how much uh, you've had a chance to watch the Blackhawks this year, but I mean, Bedard is one thing, and we all watch the highlights of Bedard. Like everybody watches Connor Bedard. Um, but, you know, you're a defenseman. Uh, I know you have your eyes on the blue line. Kevin Korczynski uh, is outstanding. And I'm, I'm really curious to see um, what you think about a guy by the name of Alex Vlasic. Uh, doesn't get a lot of headlines, uh, although he's a giant. He's six foot six, uh, 205, 210 pounds. Uh, stay-at-home guy, plays 20 minutes a night. Um, like this Blackhawks team, like I know they're not there yet and not close to being yeah. there yet, but at pretty much every single position, and I love this Vlasic kid. Um, they look good, Kenny. They look good. Uh, hey, look, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, as we know, are in a full rebuild. And, and you mentioned some of their young players on the blue line who I do like, Perchinski. I think he's got great potential, as well as Vlasic and mm-hmm. more of that stay-at-home, long-reach type of defense yep. than that. Uh, there's just not enough of them. I mean, you still have to defend in this game, right? I've gone, uh, like everybody else, the evolution of the game and and all the high-end skill, even from the back end and everybody involved in the offense. But, boy, it's valuable to have a guy that you're developing. And it's going to be a few years, take some time for these guys to get to where they have to be. But whether it's Korczynski or Vlasic, guys that uh, are, are big, they're mobile, they skate well. And that means they can defend top players eventually. And it's all about playing yeah. with consistency for a young player, young defenseman in particular, to really uh, get that experience and understand on a nightly basis uh, about positioning, about stick positioning, all those wonderful things. Even in my time that I played 10 years in the league and learned from Larry Robinson, and he probably prolonged my career another five, six years uh, just learning from him. <laughs> Just as an aside, I'm glad you brought up Larry Robinson's name because I've always felt that when we talk about the greats in the history of the game, and we'll just focus on the blue line, and listen, Bobby Orr's name comes up all the time, and Larry Robinson, or um, uh, Nick Lindstrom's name comes up all the time. I put Larry Robinson right in that mix. Like, I don't know why history hasn't been kinder to Larry Robinson, considering, you know, it's funny, I always make the example, like, in the 1970s, I mean, Larry was, like, big and strong and mobile. You know, he ended the, 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 he ended the legend of Dave Schultz in that famous brawl as well. Yeah. Like, in some regards, Larry Robinson was Chara before Chara came along. Like, what was it like learning from from Big Bird? Uh, did you nail so many good points on Larry Robinson? I mean, he could play in the 50s, 60s, 80s, and 2023 yep. and be as good as it gets, right? Because all those attributes that you yeah. mentioned, big, mobile, reach, tough. I mean, he had it all. But it, it was special when Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson uh, came to our organization. I mean, if you couldn't listen to those guys, they had didn't have enough fingers to mm. fill up all the rings on their their hands, and they just really <laughs> taught, taught us how to be an effective team and how to play the game. And everybody talks about Lemaire and Trap and Larry and all those things. They were just bringing over what those flying Frenchmen implemented with the with the Canadians as well in the 70s when they were dominant is, yeah, you, you still have flair, you still need offense, you still need creativity, but it was about uh, playing a good two-way game, basically. We never heard the word trap, but as far as Larry Robinson goes, I mean, <laughs> for me, it was about positioning. And, you know, he, he said to me as soon as he came here, he says, Kenny, you've been in the game a long time, love your intensity. Love your toughness. Want you? You're, you're going to be a mainstay in the penalty kill. Everything. And he says those things you've got down pat, and you can, you know, I still want you to be physical and take the man out. But he says you're exerting way too much energy. 
He says, I'm going to teach you how to play inside the dots, how to position your stick, where the game comes to you a little more and you're a little more relaxed. And he says, and, and we have to balance that out where I need you to be aggressive and physical, no question about it, but only when it's there. Uh, take what's given you kind of thing. And, and that was easier yeah. said than done at first because you have a mindset that I'm going to bang into everything that moves. I'm going to sometimes get myself out of position to go for that big hit. And he really taught me how to balance that out and, and play so well inside the dots. And and he had me pointing my stick, the toe of the blade. And, and I tell, tell so many young defensemen this. Toe of the blade at the puck, Ken. I don't care if the guy's 15 feet away in, in the offensive zone against the half wall. He says, you will not believe how many pucks you deflect. Instead of having your stick up a little or opening the blade, and I didn't get that. I thought I was covering more area opening up the blade. And he kept preaching it to me in practice. All of a sudden in games, I'm deflecting pucks that I don't expect uh, to deflect and breaking up plays in the middle of the ice in the defensive zone. And I'm going, wow, he knows what he's talking about. And it was a subtle thing. (laughs) And we used to battle about it, but just have so much respect for Larry as well as Jacques. I mean, just really, I I said I learned more in one week from Larry Robinson about the defensive aspect of the game in my zone than I did in my first 10 years of my career before he came there. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is such a great answer, Ken. Um, let me let me pick up on and try to extend it one one step further here. If you have a look at the last however many Stanley Cup champions, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, who won it of, of, of course a couple of times, the Colorado Avalanche, um, the St. Louis Blues, you know, you always sort of look for you know what's consistent with all these teams, and I think it's something that you mentioned right off the the top of this conversation, and that is they can all defend. Like as much as like to your point, we put the the premium on skill and flash and goal scoring and sick moves and all that. You look at hockey, like if you can't defend, this is a really, really hard game. So where do you think the New Jersey Devils are at right now on defense? We know they can Ooh. score. We know all the firepower, you know, the Selkie guy in Heesher, you know, the the Hart Trophy Art Ross candidate in, in Jack Hughes. But where are the Devils at on defending? Uh, great question. Great, great question. And going back to your opening uh, of the, of defending, being able to defend and the teams that have won the Cups recently, the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Come playoff time yeah. in particular. Yes, you need the high-end skill and top-end players and, and guys that produce offense to win in today's game for sure. But you're not going to win it all and go four grueling rounds if you can't defend. And that's a lot to do with a good stick, things we just talked about, and and big bodies that take Mm -hmm. the middle away. And it's not just defensemen. It's a five-man unit that you're connected. Everybody's connected, and everybody reads off of each other. And again, that's something that takes time. And as far as the devil's concerned, last year much better. This year, it's been very up and down. And certainly the first two months, they've given up way too many goals. They know that. And that goes hand in hand with the goaltending uh, not being where it was last year. That goes hand in hand with some younger defensemen and a group back on the back end, which I think the Devils are in great hands for a lot of years uh, to come. But there's going to be growing pains along the way. And some of the veteran guys, even because Nemitz and Hughes, have been terrific. Yeah, they're going to make a mistake here and there because they're young and Kevin Ball, uh, but they've got a nice mixture there of physicality and and Nemitz is just a really smart, heady two-way player. Luke Hughes' skating ability, uh, I've said it many times, reminds me of my old teammate and partner, Scott Niedemeyer. I don't throw comparisons around lightly, so they've been that that good and effective for 19- and 20-year-old defensemen. It's the veteran guys that have been a little bit up and down. The goaltending's been a little bit up and down. And, and the cohesiveness and, and and the commitment to defense hasn't quite been there. Maybe like last year. And they're a puck possession team. You've got to play to your identity. This is a speed team that can score. Go off the rush. But you got to make sure you get it out of your zone quickly. That's something they had a little trouble the first two months. The last three, four weeks, it's been much better. They're getting there. The goaltending has made more timely saves, which this team needs. It's not just the numbers. I mean, we look at the numbers, and I know they're not great, but uh, they've done the job when they've made those big timely saves that the Devils can 
come back and win the game four to three or five to three because they can score. Let's face it. But it's still a work in progress, Jeff, for sure. And that's what Lindy yeah. Ruff and his coaching staff keeps preaching. We got to be better away from the puck and take more of the middle away in our defensive zone. Then we can go in quick transition. One last point, and that is they like to go a little too east west too much. And you've got a hmm. situational play and understand timing of a game. And sometimes the glass is your best friend. And I'm not saying you don't want to manage the puck, but it's sometimes. You're so you're under pressure so often in your in the defensive zone with the heavy four checks and the way teams come at you now in the National Hockey League. And, and they're starting to do that a little more. Chip it out because we got guys that can skate under it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, why is it that it's funny too? Because I always sort of jokingly look at it and go, "Oh, it's the oh that's the beer league breakout high off the glass. Oh, beer league breakout that's high <laughs> off the glass." Why, why, why are so many guys like? Is it an is it an ego thing? Like you don't want to be that guy that just sizzles it off the glass to get to, to get out of the zone. Like you want to either you know skate it out, make the nice pass. Like it, it seems like such an and I know it's old school, but I mean it's such, such an obvious skill to have. Why don't more guys do it? Or the the hard rim, they refuse to do that too, Jeff. Hopefully, yep. not just New yeah. Jersey at times. And don't get me wrong, time and place for everything. It's recognizing, uh, getting to the puck a little bit quicker and, and knowing what you're going to do a half second with it prior to getting it, whether you're under pressure or whether you can make a good play up the middle or whether there's just no play. You've got two guys on you and you got to get off the glass and, and you might've nailed it. Ego. Everybody wants to make the pretty yeah. play nowadays. And it is hard yeah. to get these young skilled, talented players to say uh, <laughs> sometimes or do, I just got to get the puck out yeah. and live to fight another day. And for me, it's about balance. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't never want to take away from, I've gone with the times. I love the the speed and skill of the game and, yeah. and some of the high end players the devils have, but, but it's just balancing it out. There's a time you're under siege. It's just not going your way. The opponents, they got good players too that you just have to live and yeah. fight another day. So sometimes that class is your best friend. <laughs> okay, I've got about 60 seconds left for this question, and it's not enough time to, to get into it really, but just like a, a, a surface answer on, like, who's the engine that drives this New Jersey Devils team? Is it Heischer? Is it Hughes? Who is it? Who drives this team? <laughs> oh, I like that question, and it's a tough one. Look. Jack Hughes is the offensive juggernaut. We know that. But if you're asking me who drives this team, it's the captain, Nico Heischer, because he is just such a responsible 200-foot player. He's a defenseman's dream in the uh, in the defensive zone just because of his positioning smarts. He bails out so many defensemen when they uh, are too aggressive or out of position. Who's there when he's on the ice is Nico Heischer to break up a play. He, he really is that good of a two-way player. No coincidence, Jeff, when he went down for 11 games, the Devils weren't very good. It was yeah. tough. Since he's been back, they're winning 2-1 to one or, or something along those lines his last 18 games that he's been back as far as uh, success. And he's got 18 points in his last 18 games, 8 goals, 10 assists. So if you're asking me, they collectively, Brat is underrated, hell of a player. Uh, you can go on down the list, yep. but Look no further than the captain, Nico Heischer. Hey, Patrice Bergeron's not in the NHL anymore. The Selkie door is open. Nico Heischer, <laughs> uh, right this way, please. Uh, Ken, you enjoy the game tonight. We'll be tuned in for sure. It's the Devils facing off against the Blackhawks. Thanks, Kenny. Pleasure being on with you, Jeff. Uh, have a great day. There he is, the great Ken Danico, Stanley Cup champion, analyst with MSG Plus, covering the uh, New Jersey Devils, who are in action tonight. Against the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, I still maintain, like, the the biggest story that doesn't get any attention in the NHL is the Dougie Hamilton injury. Like, I'm still stunned that a team's number one defenseman is down and might be gone for the whole season. We don't know. He might be. And not a whisper, really. It's not even a major story. I don't get it. I mean, it is in New Jersey, certainly. But, like, this should be a big NHL story. Pick that up another time. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. What's up, Sniffles? Uh, still sniffling away, pal. Um, just get just grinding, <laughs> grinding, just grinding on a Friday. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, at least what are we at looking least, at today. Yeah, at least I can sit and watch uh, what I think will be a good hockey game tonight. Uh, it's the Jets at the Ducks. 
Puck line is Jets minus one and a half. Winnipeg is five and zero oh in their last five against Anaheim. The total has gone under in four of Anaheim's last six home games. And this is my favorite stat of the day. This is from our pal Jonathan Davis okay. at West Coast Hockey. The Jets have held their yeah. opponent under their team total for seven straight games. 14 of 15 and 19 of 22 after last night's 2-1 win over the Sharks. And the Jets are 14-1-2 overall in their last 17 games. They are hot. They are hot. And they're in a dogfight with Colorado and Dallas in the Central as well. Who knows how this is going to shake out, but I think we all kind of want to see Winnipeg and Minnesota somewhere in the playoffs. Uh, They've won four in a row. Um, They just beat San Jose last night, two to one. Like, here's the thing that Maddie's talking about as well. You do not score three goals against the Winnipeg Jets. That is the story of Winnipeg, a really underrated defense. Uh, We all know about Josh Morrissey, but Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon and Neil Pionk, etc. This is a really good defensive team. We saw Hallibuck yesterday. I would expect to see Laurent Boissois in net for the Jets tonight. Anaheim, we know what the score is now for Anaheim and the rest of the way. Tune in for this one tonight, 103 on the board. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. By the way, congratulations to Frank Vetrano going to the All-Star game. That's a nice touch. Mike Russo on Soap Operas next. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I will draw your attention to something that is mandatory reading. That is Mike Russo's latest, a, uh, an exclusive interview with Ryan Hartman. You know, as the week has gone on, the soap opera that is this NHL season continues. And right now the focus is on the rivalry between uh, the Winnipeg Jets and the Minnesota Wild. It is uh, an excellent read, some very interesting quotes. Uh, and the man who penned the piece, when we talk wild, we go to our man, Mike Russo. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well, Jeff. Hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm walking through the airport here to get to my gate to go to Columbus. No, I know you're you're busy, and I got a brief window with you, so I'm going to try to cram in as as much as possible here. So, you know, so, some interesting quotes um, from Ryan Hartman in your in your interview with him. Um, there's a little bit of the old school meets new school. Uh, what stays on the, what happens on the ice should stay on the ice. There's a sharpening of the pencil. What with uh, with regards to what was actually said and what the circumstance around it was. Uh, Hartman says, quote, um, I know he's wearing a mic all game. He comes up to me multiple times and asks me if I did it on purpose. That would be the the slap to the mouth with the stick. And finally, all I told him was, quote, I'm not going to say it wasn't on purpose. Your thoughts on, before we sort of drill down on this, Mike, first of all, this whole season's been a soap opera. Your thoughts on the latest chapter here. What do you make of all this? Well, it's definitely been a new uh, new wrinkle to a very turbulent season, especially a turbulent last week and a half of the Wild, where pretty much everybody on their roster of substance has gotten injured. Um, the Hartman situation, yeah. obviously, so they had the the, the, the game in, um, in Winnipeg the other day, which, you know, really, when it comes to Wild Jets game, was pretty tepid, um, other than the, you know, the Dylan battle that left uh, Caprice out hurt. Um, Jake Melton fights Dylan. We think it's over. Obviously, you're expecting some sort of response the next next day. Maroon fights Lowry. Again, you think it's over. And then after the game, really the next day is when you start to see the video of, of uh, what looks like Hartman intentionally driving a stick into the teeth of, uh, of a young player that had nothing to do with the incident. I think all of us probably thought it was intentional. I think many people still think it was intentional. Um, but after Perfetti said that Brian Hartman admitted it, you know, the next job there is to finally get somebody in front of Hartman to talk to him. And, um, you know, Hartman was not available mm-hmm. until last night. I requested him, and that was his response. Uh, you know, I, you know, the first question I, I, I wanted to know was, you know, did you say that? And, and that's where he came out with the, the quote that, uh, that um, he said, he claims to have said that I'm not, uh, you know what was it? I'm I'm not uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't on purpose. Uh, the wild uh, PR guy Aaron Sippen was right next to him during the interview. The Jets sent the video of this clip to the Wild, asking permission if they could use it. Uh, both the Wild and the NHLPA said no. 
But Aaron Sickman said that's exactly what Ryan Hartman said, at least on the clip that the Jets sent. Now, I don't know if there's other video throughout the game that, uh, right. you know, that basically, uh, you know, there's other things said. Who knows with, with Ryan, but, but that at least is what um, has been confirmed to me that was said. It's, um, well, I'll tell you what, um, reading your piece today, uh, just before the show, one of my first thoughts was, and again, this is no knock on John Hines at all, but I really wish Dean Evason was still behind the bench with the Minnesota Wild, just to add another layer of this uh, Minnesota-Winnipeg rivalry. Uh, we've all seen the video previously of, of Rick Bonus and, and Dean Evason going back and forth. Uh, what would it be like if Evason were still behind the bench for Minnesota? Yeah, Everson probably would not be uh, very calm about this, especially considering this is the second time in a row that Kaprizov has gone to Winnipeg yeah. and gotten injured. And and again, I mean, look, this is a this is a, a heated rivalry. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there's when you're a Minnesota Wild fan, a Minnesota Wild player, and a Minnesota Minnesota Wild staffer, you're not going to be happy when uh, you know Kaprizov is knocked out of your lineup again. And then you add the further stress of the fact that everybody's heard that this team had won 11 of 14 under giant John. Now they're, they've yeah. lost four in a row and they've just got a laundry list of injuries, but they, they still are, you know, feel, and this has been a longstanding narrative here in Minnesota is that this league does not protect stars like Kaprizov or Kaprizov specifically. This is not just the first time. It's not just a Winnipeg uh, situation. They feel that he doesn't get the respect from the officials. I don't think this was a um, suspendable act. I don't even think it's necessarily a fine, um, but it should have been a two-minute minor. But regardless, um, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a two-minute minor, it, it, you know, Kaprizov is still out with the broken ribs right now. So, you know, who knows uh, where this goes, but obviously as you've been tweeting the last couple of days, February 20th is going to be must-see TV. <laughs> I'm just trying to sell a hockey ticket here, trying to help people out and yeah, trying to draw exactly, some attention no. to to a to, a, to try try. I'll tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to draw attention more than anything else, and you know this a lot better than me. You're right there. That at times this Minnesota Winnipeg rivalry has been downright nasty. Like when we talk about rivalries yeah. in the NHL, we'll always focus on you know the the Islanders, Devils, and the Rangers. Certainly in the Battle of Alberta, um, you know right now there's a there's a great <laughs> one. It's pretty physical and pretty violent between Anaheim and Arizona. That doesn't get a lot of play. Um, but I keep telling people like Winnipeg and Minnesota. And you've seen you've seen all of it, Mike. Like at times, it's nasty. And I'm just trying to draw people's attention to the fact that this is a great cross-border rivalry, which is always good because then you have the added layer of Canada versus United States, which is why I think that you know a lot of people between Buffalo and Toronto are hoping that you know Buffalo can get good again, so you can see something there because then you have the Canadian-U.S. mix as well. Like we don't have these. I mean, Montreal and Boston at times, but Montreal's taken a big step back. Like the cross-border rivalries to me are always the most interesting because they tend to have the most layers. And the best one that we have right now is Minnesota-Winnipeg. No, there's no doubt about it. And it's, it's nasty on the ice. It's become nasty off the ice with the fan bases. Um, you know, frankly, with, with a couple of the beat writers, um, you know, and obviously on the ice. I mean, you know, I, 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 there have been yeah. so many incidents. Uh, you know, Dustin Bufflin body slamming. Michael Granlund, uh, Dad Pagosian yep. concussing, Pierre Mark Bouchard, um, Marcus Foligno's Superman punch on Brendan Dillon, Foligno winding up on the bench in, against Winnipeg and with uh, Lowry, uh, Foligno kneeing Lowry in the head. I mean, there's just been, I mean, it's, it's every game it's something. Um, and the last couple is obviously have led to, you know, the Hartman incident with uh, Nikolai Ehlers and then obviously the two Caprizov yep. incidents. So it's definitely the... Let's put it this way: the fire is not going out anytime soon. Um, you know, we'll see what happens February twentieth, yeah. especially if the Wild continue to lose and where they are in the standings. So, who knows? I, I honestly, I, I just hope that you know Minnesota can turn this thing around. And I think all of us love to see seven games between these teams in the playoffs. When you talk about you know logs on the fire, I mean this one would be, uh, this one has the potential to be a volcano. Um, listen, uh, you know this better than me. This is uh, this is a team that has uh, forty million dollars either in buyouts or, or in injury right now, and are skating with a, a roster, skating with a roster that's barely above 
the um, yeah. the the uh, the NHL salary cap back in 2005. Then it was 39 million. I believe they're skating with 40 million dollars right now. Like you want to talk about playing a game with uh, with one skate tied behind your leg? Uh, that's what the Minnesota Wild are doing right now, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every single night that they're going up against teams with more. No, even as it was with the 14.7 dead money, they were going up uh, against teams that were going to be deeper yeah. and and uh, and obviously have. Um, you know, more stars and, and, and more abilities to win. Now, um, you know, you add in, I mean, actually, if you include that 14.7, they're, they're minus $50.9 million worth of players right now. Their team is littered with minor leaguers. Um, so far, their minor leaguers have yeah. come up from the minors and have literally done nothing. Um, and now, you know, with, you're getting, you know, John Hines keeps on talking about the opportunity, opportunity, opportunity that a lot of these guys are being given to be elevated in the lineup, how everybody, as we know in the league, when you're on the third mm. line, you wish you could be on the top, you know, top six. If you're on the fourth line, you wish you could be a third line guy. If you're on the third pair, you wish you were yeah. the first pair guy. Well, now that is happening to the wild and these guys are not coming through. Marco Rossi had one shot attempt last night. Matt Boldy had one shot attempt last night. Neither of them had a shot on goal. Um, you know, you know, Duham uh, only had one shot. Durer had no shots. Johansson had no shots. That's not sustainable. Um, so the Wild have to figure this out quickly. Uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury is, uh, has done all he could from a from a you know goaltending standpoint. Made a mistake last night on the on the winning goal. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. They need some sort of jolt here. Whether it's a guy coming back in the lineup like a Zuccarello or Kaprizov, or whether as I'm I'm expecting uh, an NHL debut next week from Jesper Malstead, um, something needs to happen to turn mm. this thing around because. In this standings, uh, you know, if the Wild, they had a fight and claw. They won 11 of 15 games under Hines and still didn't yep. put themselves, at least points-wise, in a playoff spot. And now you've lost four in a row, including, uh, you know, two inside your division. So it, it's, uh, they're, in, a, they're in, in tough right now. You got a flight to catch, and I want to respect your time. Um, Mike, as always, thanks so much for, uh, for stopping by. I know it's short notice today. It's a travel day for you. I really appreciate it, pal. Safe travels. Anytime, Jeff. See ya. Mike Russo from The Athletic. I uh, very much encourage you to uh, to read his latest piece, and it is uh, an exclusive interview with Ryan Hartman uh, of the Minnesota Wild. If you if you missed it in the first hour, so this is coming off, of course, of the uh, the saga of you know the, uh, the the stick in the face off the face off, and the uh, subsequent audio of him telling Cole Perfetti that he was going to get it. I'm paraphrasing. Um, some of the quotes from uh, Hartman in the in the uh, in the Russo piece quote, uh, "It's written on the wall that he's wearing a mic." This is what Hartman told Russo yesterday. Um, that is true. Like whenever someone is wearing a microphone, both teams are alerted to who has the microphone on. So adjust yourself accordingly when you're skating near that player. He further goes on. Uh, I know he's wearing a mic all game. He comes up to me multiple times. This is Perfetti. He comes up to me multiple times and asks me if I did it on purpose. That would be the stick in the face off the draw. And finally, all I told him was, quote, I'm not going to say it wasn't on purpose. If everything that was said, he goes on here, if everything that was said on the ice was released to the media, there'd be a lot of people in this league in trouble. That is so true. I don't know. I guess we're in a different day and age where kids talk to people about what's said on the ice. You'd think things would stay on the ice. There's a, there is a real generation gap dynamic here between these two players specifically where the Perfetti generation has the assumption of no privacy and have lived their whole lives assuming there will be none. And Hartman from the, uh, from the school that says what happens on the ice stays on the ice, what's said on the ice stays on the ice as well um and goes on to say so i didn't tell him hey i did that on purpose he kept coming up to me and i finally said i'm not gonna say it wasn't on purpose that was the extent of it uh to read the full piece and more comments from ryan hartman on this situation check out mike russo uh at the athletic uh in the meantime joined now by gord stelic uh gord before we get on the uh, the maple leafs page here um and there's plenty to get to there, including, and we believe, an impending William Nylander contract. Um, first of all, you've been involved in the NHL, covered the NHL, followed the NHL, going back to the 70s. Um, I can't remember a season that had more of a soap opera feel to it 
than this season. You have a wider frame of reference and context than I do. Is this a unique year that it feels like this is a telenovela, this is a soap opera going on in the NHL this season? Uh, I think you're right, Jeff. And I, I think a big reason is the COVID years that there was an understanding, let's just get through it. Can we play the playoffs in a bubble? Can we go charter in all these untested yeah. waters? Uh, uh, owners and presidents, I think we're giving a lot of slack to the team and results because it was just great to get games on the ice and try to get some semblance of a season in. But I, I think, you know, when Elliot said it back in preseason, like how the pressure was, everyone was feeling the pressure that it's real now. 25 teams expect to make the playoffs. Nine are going to get pissed off that they're not going to be in. And you see the number of coaching changes and all the other things that have gone on that I got a sense that there is an element of ramping up the pe- pressure, which to use your phrase, the yeah. soap opera and other things that have gone on on and off the ice, I think a little <laughs> bit more prevalent. I think you're right there. How did you see the uh, the Cole Perfetti, uh, Ryan Hartman situation and that entire dynamic? Like, I never want to... I know that Hartman's trying to present it as if, you know, Perfetti went out and, and blasted it all to the media. Um, you know, Perfetti was asked essentially what happened. And I never want to fault someone for giving an honest answer. And that's all Perfetti was trying to do. And then that just, you know, let the, let the volcano erupt again. How did you see all of it from, you know, from the, uh, the initial smack in the face off the face off to the, he said, he said between these two players as well. How have, how have you received all of this news? Well, first Jeff, I'll talk about being enlightened. And it was a tweet from you that I think enlightened everybody about the fact that when he's mic when he agrees to be mic it's kind of the equivalent yeah. of he wasn't read his rights. It's like you're you're, you're arrested, yeah. you confess, and yeah. they say hey, later you weren't read your rights, so it didn't matter that you confessed to the murder. Yeah. Uh, you weren't read your rights, so it's inadmissible. Yeah. The um, you know, it's it's like when when people get really ticked off, and you think is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put the stick right, I'm gonna shove the stick right down your throat. Okay, that'd be more of an old time kind of phrase, but in some ways, oh, yeah. like he's doing that, even though Perfetti wasn't fortunately seriously injured. You can break a jaw. You can do what you know. Like I mean, that that's a pretty significant I, retaliation. And again, the old style was about okay. You, you don't necessarily go after the tough guy. You go after somebody of value because they've hurt somebody talented on your team in Kaprizov. So yeah. there was an element of the old time hockey there, which I don't mind to a degree. Uh, I don't like the stick coming up close to the face. At, and then, and then uh, you know the the kind of thing about. Uh, What's said on the ice should stay on the ice. Well, uh, I, I think, you know, Perfetti was asked a question. It's just like Steven Stamkos being asked a question about his contract. And, you know, just I like yeah. people being forthcoming mm. and being honest about it. So it was uh, it was interesting, about you know, in Hartman. And you see his value to the team as well. <laughs> like Ryan Hartman's willing to yeah. do those kinds of things. And uh, I guess, I don't know. Now people are going to be more leery to be miked because even though stuff's inadmissible, it still is out there in the uh, yeah. in, in the in the free world, but uh, I uh, I again it's sort of that draw that that drill. I thought it's more fun. Do Sagan and Shifley still do like play rock paper scissors to be the last two guys off the ice? I mean, do we still have those fun mm. things in the in the pregame warm up? I haven't seen that for a while, so I think it's resorted more to I'm going to stick yeah. the throat down your I'm going to stick the stick down your throat. <laughs> You know what got me to thinking? I've been thinking about this all week long, and I think my answer is Kevin McClelland. Uh, I'm curious what yours is. Um, because now uh, like we're, I think we're all wondering the same thing. Like, oh, I hope this isn't the end of players getting mic'd up through, uh, th- uh, through a game. But if there's one player historically that you would love to have a mic on for a game, to me it's Kevin McClelland. Uh, maybe Dave Semenko as well, because he was really clever and, and witty as well. But to me, Kevin McClellan, like some of the things that I've heard, oh my goodness, that McClellan would say on the ice um, to other people, to officials, to me, it's uh, a lot of it's pretty salty and really not family friendly, but still hilarious. Um, is there one player that stands out in your mind from hockey's past that you'd like to hear mic'd up for one game? Well, okay, I'm going way back just about I'm using the wit part because you're right. There's there's good there's good trash talkers. Um, you know, there's others, there's yeah. kind of motivators, uh, there's people that lose it all the time, you know, and and, and again, more so yep. more so decades ago. Um, I look at a really funny guy like Billy Delego, okay? Like just more about oh. I just remember his lines in and around the team about like uh he came on the bus yeah. once and we've been playing in Hartford 
he never fought, but a guy named Mickey Vulcan um, took him on in a fight. Oh, yeah. And Mickey Vulcan broke his hand fighting. So that was the only casualty. And I remember Billy D coming on to Boston going, any word from the hospital? You know, <laughs> you know as if he'd done any other player. The player was getting treated for broken knuckles on Billy's head. So, you know, that's kind of one off the top. You know, uh, there's so much stuff about Borea Salming now that, you know, he probably yeah. wouldn't be a big talker. But it would be interesting to what he had, you know, had to say, just that kind of competitiveness and combativeness that was on the ice. Uh, you know, Tiger Williams holding macro, you know, probably if it was admissible Oof. in court, what he had to say, you know, whatever he, if he uh, <laughs> uh, would probably have some problems in that regard. So uh, there, there's all kinds of different, but it's, uh, I like it. I, I, I like the fact that, you know, I, I know, I know it's a much different sport curling, but curling, a big part of its growth has been successfully letting you inside all the strategy and what's going on by having the players mic'd up. Now, you don't get the same in the other sports strategy-wise, but uh, the NFL mm-hmm. kind of goes the other way. It's like the guy knows he's mic'd, and at halftime, it's somebody that knows he's mic'd and just going o- over the top all the time. But I, uh, I, I, like, I like when they forget they're mic'd playing hockey and you get that genuineness. Gord, you're a curler. What does curling trash talk sound like? <laughs> um. I'm I'm only gonna buy you a small beer, that's it. You know that's about it. It's you you sit down with the other team after the winner buys the first beer and the loser's first drink beverage and the, and the loser buys the other one. But um, yeah, I can get uh, <laughs> I can be I when I when I go do mixed curling with uh, uh, my my wife Lisa, we always take two cars. Just in case, right? After afterwards, that's <laughs> just, you know, if there's any hard uh, feeling. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, alongside Gordon Stalick. Um, so uh, around Maple Leaf camp, and we'll see the Maple Leafs in action against uh, the San Jose Sharks. And I want to get to the Nylander deal here in a second. Um, were you surprised to see them go back to back with Martin Jones? Like, I don't think it was necessarily the wrong idea. Um, but I think that, and this is just, you know, satisfying my curiosity. Like, my curiosity about seeing Dennis Hildeby is uh, really not a factor when, when, when Keefe and Trilliving sit down uh, and Curtis Sanford, the goaltending coach, to decide who the goaltenders are going to be. I don't think they say, well, you know what, uh, some media people and some fans that want to see Hildeby, so let's throw him in there against the Anaheim Ducks. But uh, how curious are you to see what the Maple Leafs have under the hood here in Dennis Hildeby? Yeah, but, you know, Dennis Hildeby, I am curious to answer your question, but it's kind of like you're getting your car fixed under the hood, but you picked it up before it's fully mm. fixed, right? I mean, he's not supposed to be in the NHL yeah. right now. He's having a very successful nope. year for him in the American Hockey League, but we know the way life works. Sometimes uh, a break, an opportunity comes much too early. Sometimes it never comes or it comes late. So I... I, uh, I I don't think they're afraid, if that's the right word, about putting him in net. I like the fact that, hey, uh, the L.A. Anaheim, it's it's easier traffic going from L.A. to Anaheim than it is driving home from Scotiabank Arena after a game. So this was not really a true mm. test of traveling. Yeah. And I also like going with the hot hand sometime. I mean, they need points. The Leafs are in there. They're, they're, not, they're not sitting atop the division. They need points. So uh, the coach deciding it was the best thing to ride the hot hand in Martin Jones. So uh, I, I thought they'd go to Hill to be, to be honest with you, but I totally understand. And I like more and more about going with a goaltender back to back when he's got the hot hand, you know, trying to, trying to use common sense and the strategy for pretty well every team now that needs points that's involved in a playoff race. So when you look at the Hart Trophy this year, um, so far the conversation has been dominated by Nathan McKinnon and Nikita Kucherov and, you know, Connor McDavid has re-entered the chat. Uh, Thank you very much. At times people have made noise, and I think rightfully so, for Quinn Hughes, um, Sidney Crosby, if he can get the Pittsburgh Penguins into a playoff position here, and boy was he good last night against the Boston Bruins. Um, But let me ask you something that Elliot asked me the other day. If Austin Matthews scores 70 goals, where is he going to be on your Hart Trophy ladder? Where would you put him amongst these other players? Yeah, it's a funny one because he already won it, you know, and I I, I think that they keep, you know, fairly or unfairly, voters may go back to about playoff success in the past where Kucherov, for example, has a couple of Stanley Cups. McKinnon has a Stanley Mm -hmm. Cup. But, hey, what Austin Matthews is doing right now, he's got to be right up there. 
Like he's got to be right up there when when you're when you're oh, doing yeah. the voting. Just 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 the facts, ma'am. And the facts are, look what he's doing. Yeah. So you know whatever transpires in the playoffs down the road, we'll see what comes. But it focuses on the regular season, and there is no other player that's more dominant or more valuable to his team for me right now than Austin Matthews is. You know, the, the the one thing about, and we see this with Nylander, and I want to transition to, to Nylander here. The, the one thing that I think is really impressive about Matthews, which is also really impressive about Nylander, is that, he, I mean, listen, Gord, you know what it's like. Like, you're a manager here in Toronto. Um, it's, uh, it's a tough place to play. The pressures, the stresses, we've seen players thrive. We've also seen a lot of players wilt. And it seems as if both Matthews and Nylander specifically don't let any of the noise affect them and never have. Like you I don't know whether it's just it's just thick skin or there's something else, but you've seen athletes go in and out of Toronto and they always you know, a lot of them say the same thing. I thought I knew what it was gonna be like, but then I got here and holy smokes, I had no idea. What is it about Matthews and Nylander, maybe other than just thick skin, that allows them just to take like one of these like I don't care pills and you know what, no matter the criticism, the noise, uh, the controversies, it's just like water off a duck's back for these two. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's funny. I, I think if you look at Mitch Marner a bit, there's been times when the criticism seems to have bothered, whether it's him or people in his camp, you know, and he's the guy that's the most local yeah. Uh, geographically of all of them, but they're they're a good kind of chill in different ways. Uh, you know, Austin Matthews really is chill. Like I don't think he's just like he's just a cool dude. Where yeah. William Nylander is more expressive, uh, more outgoing. Uh, you know, just exudes a lot of confidence in himself. And also, when I say doesn't care, doesn't mean mm-hmm. doesn't care about what's going on, on the ice. But to your point, Jeff, uh, you have to not care about social media and other things like that. Like, you know, you got to, and the fact that even yeah. when the NHL Players Association a couple of years ago, they had their golf tournament up at Glen Abbey and they, want, they needed a couple of current players just to show up and Gabriel Landeskog and, and Nylander were, were the two. And then Nylander was offering his opinion about somebody else's contract and said, hey, hey, if you, you know, don't be afraid to do what I did and, and, uh, uh, and not sign and wait and miss part of the season. You know, he doesn't say with any kind of acrimony, any yeah. kind of bite, any kind of resentment. You know, he's uh, William Nylander is just a great world uh, to live in, and uh, and he's going to live it his way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think uh, in in you know, and, and Morgan Riley, you throw him in as well about figuring out what's special about Toronto. And you're right, it's not for everybody. And there there's some that it just hasn't been the place to play. But if you if you can yeah. find that groove, kind of like New York City, you know, whatever, like a Henrik Lundqvist there, for example. It's the best place to play. And these guys, and I mean, they've re-upped as well. You're talking yeah. about American kid in Austin Matthews. Uh, you know, guys like Doug Waite, Eddie Olchuk, they love American kids that love playing in Canada. It always gets a, a bad rap. You know, we're hard on ourselves mm-hmm. sometimes that why wouldn't they want to stay in the States? Why would they want to come up here? But then when you get in the place they are, why, where else would you want to be? The um the Nylander contract has dominated conversations, obviously, going back to the beginning of the season and, and back into the summer as well. Um, no, make no mistake about it. The um the price tag will be more expensive now than it would have been in July uh, or August. Um, I've kind of been of the belief that this thing is going to be well, it's going to be a max term deal, so it's going to be eight years. Uh, I've wondered if it's going to you know uh, the 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 total of the contract match the number on the back of his jersey, uh, namely eighty eight million. Um, I wonder if it's maybe even a little bit north of that. Like I wonder about you know eleven. Nick Kiprios talked about eleven two five uh, times eight. Do you have a spidey sense on the Nylander deal? Which you know who knows might be announced as. You know, all it's going to take is, you know, uh, you know, four different parties agreeing to this. Might even happen as early as today. Who knows? Uh, do you have a thought or a comment on the impending Nylander deal as it very much feels like we're getting close here? Yeah, you know, and hey, the, uh, we've talked about the guy bet on himself and, and good on him. I mean, you know, John Klingberg, for yep. example, two, turned down seven years, seven million per season with Dallas, right? You know, just um, yeah, you're hot, you're cold, timing's everything. So the timing's been right. You still don't like the structure. It's a disproportionate amount of money that's spent on your top four elite forwards. 
That's not a good model in the cap world, but you got no choice. And it's not William Nylander's fault. You want William Nylander on your team. I, um, I got to say, Jeff, that yeah. uh, the eight-year deal, uh, I, I, I don't like term from a management side. I, I, I would rather keep it less um, because, again, if the player plays great, there'll be more cap space. And you can just the, the long-term contracts can come back and bite you. But anyway, it seems to be the, that's what the market will bear, will offer. Because he's an unrestricted free agent, this is a great year to hit it. So, um, and I know Kipper and Justin Bourne talked about it, that you can front load a lot of things, as we know. So the Leafs can, maybe to mitigate that AAV, is front load a lot of money, uh, whether it's salary, signing bonus, and now that interest rates are going up, you can factor that in a little bit to uh, maybe knock down the AAV a bit. But it's going to make a big, you know, they're, they're, it's ch- a lot of teams are challenged by the salary cap. And, you know, in this case, there mm-hmm. isn't a dog contract amongst those elite four. You could argue maybe some are, when you compare some other situations, uh, they're getting paid more than, say, Tampa Bay or Boston, what they do. But that's just the, the price of doing business with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. How quickly, once he, because everyone's following this Nylander saga, and I'm not putting myself above the fray, I'm part of it as well. How quickly, once the Nylander deal is done, does everybody turn their attention to Mitch Marner and July 1st and the ability to extend? How quickly does that happen? Uh, five minutes or less? I'd say five seconds for a lot of the fans. You know, that's just, hey, um, <laughs> it, it was like Austin Matthews. If, if that thing strung out for a while, that would, every day we'd be talking about it. And, um, and again, you know, Brad Treliving lived it in Calgary, how it can, how the dominoes can fall not your way when you weren't expecting with the whole Johnny Goodrow situation and what yeah. else had to happen there afterwards when he left at the 11th hour, 59th minute. But obviously that's what Treliving and everybody else do business. You got to take the big picture and figure it out. And yep. you, you don't get panicked. You don't get pressured. It's funny, you know, hockey players like uh, I, there's Sam Reinhardt out there, Jake Gensel out there. By and large, it seems that if they're in a good place, they'll want to stay put. And, of course, the cap helps that because there's not one team that could come in and give whatever Shohei Otani money is for hockey. You know, everyone's playing with the same Mm. chess pieces in the cap world. So, so, you know, by and large, it seems players want to stay. And I would think, um, you know, I would think that'd be the case with Mitch. I can't speak for them. I I just, there was whatever. It's revisionist history about how initially the money – in a more timely fashion for all yeah. those other guys could have been a little bit less that's gone now they've got their second deals and uh and in case of austin matthews's third deal and same with nylander i guess when, once it happens so we'll just see where it goes from there we'll stand by uh gord great stuff as always have an enjoyable weekend and we'll uh, we'll touch base soon you be well yeah sounds good jeff you take care there he is, uh, the great Gord Stellick, um, whom you hear frequently uh, across these uh, radio waves in various markets across the country. He is also the co-host of uh, NHL Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM alongside Scott Lachlan. Uh, okay, we'll hit a break here. Coming back with Steve Valaket from, uh, from MSG, covers the New York Rangers, also uh, the owner of Clearsight Analytics. You know, if you've ever heard Kevin Woodley here on this program from Ingold Magazine, those are the stats that he cites, the uh, the most accurate ways, and he does, you know, deals with NHL teams as well and other clients, um, the most accurate ways to evaluate and measure what goaltenders do. Uh, so we'll talk about the Rangers and we'll talk about goalies as we have one more segment this week here on the program and we'll spend it with the great Steve Valakats. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Finishing up another week here, and uh, we're holding our strongest card for the end. He is Steve Valaket uh, of Clearsight Analytics. Steve Valaket, MSG Rangers analyst, working the Rangers game last night. Uh, big win over the Chicago Blackhawks. Steve joins me now. Steve, how are you, pal? Very good, Jeff. Glad to be on with you, buddy. How's things? 
things are good, um, and things are good for the Rangers right now, and things are good for Igor Shosturkin, who's off to the All-Star game, and things are good for Brennan Offman, who made his NHL debut last night. And I'd like to kind of start there. What did you think of Offman game one? Oh, he was really good. He had five shots on goal, and at least three of them were significant scoring chances. He had uh, Mrazic caught once flat on the goal line where he almost beat him in the corner of uh, – can of corn over his shoulder that was close he had a one-timer off the rush uh his back check was really impressive he was very noticeable laviolette said it after the game and we said it all, all night long he was noticeable on every shift and i think for a young player that's all you have to do isn't it just yeah. uh, get your name out there and get noticed and don't make mistakes. I mean, that's the big one. I mean, you make a mistake as a rookie, especially in your first game. Uh, you get, you get, you might as well buy a ticket uh, at the at that's that right. point. But um, you know, cool. one one of the other things, yeah. One of the other things, and listen, we understand why he's not going to the All-Star game, him and his wife are expecting, but Panarin with uh, another one last night. You know, um, the uh, the Hart Trophy conversation revolves around a number of players, McKinnon, Kucherov, McDavid, uh, Crosby, if he gets the Penguins in, and also Artemi Panarin. Is there anything different about Panarin from one season to the next? Or, Steve, from your perch, is this just, well, this is Artemi Panarin and this is what he does? No, look, there was a... A story this summer that came out that Artemi was not happy about the last two playoff appearances that he had had. He shaved his head and uh, he yeah. kind of got will get rid, got rid of all that bad will. And what he did was, from game one, he's looked different. And and different to me in the regular season for Panarin is forcing himself inside as a passer to get his teammates inside, or as a playmaker that he is getting in and shooting. He's shooting much more. Um, you know what it is? It's going back to the Eastern Conference final loss two years ago against Tampa. Uh, both teams, 14 mm. goals in that series, minus the empty netters. And Panarin, uh, he was just put to sleep in games four, five, and six. Uh, he had two chances inside as a shooter, and he was only as a playmaker able to get his teammates inside for one chance through four, five, and six. And it was just, it was one of those where he understood that wasn't going to be good enough, and he wanted to have a better playoff last season. The Rangers losing seven games last year and somewhat of an upset against the New Jersey Devils. They thought they were going to be able to take that series, provided that everybody had showed up and stayed healthy. And you know what? The Devils killed them off the rush, and Panarin wasn't able to get inside again. So the remedy of adding Kane and Tarasenko didn't help. And I think right mm-hmm. now the Rangers, including Panarin, realizes that this is it. You know, This is the window that they're in right now, and they have to win. And he's going to be the catalyst. Like, has won uh, 10 games coming off of a loss. The record is 10-1-0 after losing this year. They've only had two losses in a row once. And the main guy there has been Perry. He's got nine goals in those games following a Rangers loss. He's got 15 points. So he's stepping up matters most. He's getting inside consistently in the hard games. He looks like a different player this year, and I'm sure that he's hoping that it's going to go like that all the way through the playoffs. Okay, let's get to the fun stuff, uh, the goaltenders. And there have been a couple of stories with uh, with both these goaltenders here at the New York Rangers. You know I love talking goalies with you, Steve. Um, so it's just Turkins off to the All-Star game. Bracket that conversation for a second because I don't know that anybody expected to see this from Jonathan Quick. Maybe you did. I don't know. Um, but did you expect to see this type of season and these type of performances from Jonathan Quick? He's been great for the Rangers. No. Yeah, no, Jeff, I didn't, and nobody did for that matter. Um, Jonathan Quick was coming off three really subpar seasons for he and his standards, so uh, I actually thought he was done. You know, I'll be honest, I thought he was done. And uh, what's been amazing is being able to see Benoit Allaire, and and where Benoit Allaire, the goalie coach, that if there were a Hall of Fame, he'd be in it. Um, He's very good at getting guys to buy into positioning and buy into playing in the blue ice so that you have to take shorter routes from one side of the ice to the other. And it's amazing to see Quick over the last three years, one of the bottom guys in the league in safe percentage east to west. He's up near the top right now. And one thing I thought was fascinating mm-hmm. was when we played in Edmonton earlier this year, uh, there were 27 shots in the game. And I could have sworn while covering the game that he didn't leave the blue paint all night. And that's, we both know, Wow. From Jonathan Quick's history, how active he is. Oh yeah. On twenty-seven yep. shots, twenty-seven shots, he was only outside and ice for one save the entire game. 
And uh, it was an excellent wow. shot where he stepped into the middle of the ice and it was necessary for him to step out and challenge. So I thought that was fascinating. I'm seeing it every night and it's legit. It's not a fluke. I mean, he's out there and he is, you see his face getting really yeah. close to his hands when he's making saves. He looks amazing out there. You know, that that's fascinating too, because I would imagine like, listen, like he's very much on the shady side of the mountain when it comes to his career. That's not exactly a secret. He's had a lot of success. In 2012, he was probably the best goaltender on the planet. Uh, what a year that was for, for Jonathan Quick. But, you know, you know what it's like, and you've seen goaltenders as time goes on. You know, the the cement hardens around your ideas and you become resistant to trying uh, new and different things. I think one of the great stories with Quick is, you know, as you're detailing here, his ability to listen to someone like Benoit Allaire and change the way that he's always played. Like, listen, you're right. Like, we used to, all of us do, like, love the way that Jonathan Quick played. He was active. He was all over the place. It was, you know, windmills and, like, big glove saves. And it was fun to watch Jonathan Quick. Like, I think that just the idea of someone at this point of his career still being able to say, okay, Benoit, what's going to make this work now, given the abilities that I still have? To me, that's... To be blunt, I mean, that deserves applause. That really does. Uh, big time. And look, it's, uh, it's something that I experienced myself. I know that Marty Biron, if you talk to him, he'll tell you the same thing. Benny's very uh-huh. good at having that talk with you, which is you can keep doing it the way you're doing it, but you're going to stay where you are. But if you want to play in the league five more years, this is what you must do. And you just buy in. I don't know if it's a French accent or what, but you buy into it. And when you see the video, which is, is, it's actually a lot of fun watching video with Benoit when you're first starting in on that process of backing up, he'll show you maybe three or four clips from the previous game that are all of 30 seconds long, because there's not a lot that he wants you to repeat from that game, except for these three clips. And Mm. in the games that he doesn't like something, he'll show you doing it the right way, positionally show you doing it the wrong way and then sandwich that with you doing it the right way. And he's very good at getting you inspired about making that change and how it's going to help you. And the biggest thing with Ben Waller is he cares and he knows that his way to help you is going to be the best for you. And he cares for you. Mm -hmm. And the athlete always responds. How much does, here's what I'm curious about. How much does Ben Waller factor in, who the opponent is when he prepares a goaltender for a game, as opposed to this is the way we play and this is the way we play against all 31 other teams. So I recall a few things from Benny sharing it with Henrik in front of me. And these things were small adjustments like uh, Boston shooting high and they've got five of their last six goals in two games, high glove. So, Henrik, here's how you're going to position your glove, and you go fingers a little more up. And uh, after the game, you know, he'd say something to me like, hey, Vali, did you see the adjustment with Hank Glove? He had two save in the second period. I'm like, like, yeah, Benny, I saw it. So he wouldn't – I don't know if he would ever really come right out and say, hey, this is why you're making the change. Just I think this is is the way you have to hold your glove tonight, Hank. You know, and he had a way of just being able to present it. And I think when you're – when you're a goalie coach, you need to know how to sell it. And you never want to yeah. put a goalie in a position where he feels like he's vulnerable either. That's why Benny's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things. Uh, your thoughts on Shosturkin this season, and what's the dynamic between Allaire and Shosturkin? How, you know, how does this battery work? Well, with Igor, it's, uh, it's been a fascinating watch for me with him because He is so talented, and the only tough nights he's had this year is when the game gets away from him. And I think it's because his standard is so high and the psychology and the attitude that he has towards being great and being perfect and being a Vesna guy again. Mm. I think those expectations have been hard for him. And you can see it statistically where uh, he's got the fifth worst uh, save percentage when he's down by two goals in a game. He actually just, it just caves in on him. It gets worse. And that's why you see the six, one score the other night. And, but when he is on his game at score tied or up by a goal, it's over. And I, I feel like he gets frustrated sometimes in his own performance because he's shooting for perfection. And I think he's going through that phase of his career where, you know, the three E's to every hockey career, where it's, you start your career and you're really excited and then the second E is you're entitled 
and I, it not entitled in a bad way for him, and I'm not talking about dollars and cents, just he feels yeah. like he's entitled with the work he's put in to get a save on every shot. And he's dealing with how hmm. difficult it is and the randomness of the game sometimes. Broken plays are going to happen, and passes that go across the Royal Road twice, you're not going to have a shot at. And I think he's having a hard time with that. Uh, he's working through it, certainly. Yeah. But the psychology of the game that he's challenged with right now it's going to help him for the future. And uh, by the way, the 30 is the ending. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me let me finish up by by asking you like who we're all missing on. And let me frame it this way. So it was right around this time about uh, well, I want to say it, the the turnaround really began in early December for Jonas Corposalo. Uh, playing with the Columbus Blue Jackets, I think it was either a game against either Winnipeg or Buffalo where it seemed like, okay, he really seems like he's over the hip surgery. And we're starting to see him more comfortable, more relaxed. Uh, ease of movement became more of a thing for Jonas Corposalo. And it was right around this time that we started to say, maybe Corposalo is back. Um, is there a goaltender right now that you look at and you say, how is everyone missing out on how good this guy is right now? Who's that goalie, Steve? Well, um, before I go to that one, I'd say Thatcher Demko was, is the best turnaround story of the year from last year, being near the bottom of our expected mm-hmm. goals list. Right now, he's number one. And the next closest guy that's really had uh, maybe a turnaround from last year, but two years ago we saw flashes is Charlie Lindgren in Washington. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. think, I think his season's been remarkable. Um, Aiden Hill has backed up uh, his Stanley Cup trophy, and, and that, which is very fascinating because a lot of people didn't think much of him. Uh, Wall is eighth on our expected goals uh, saved above average, and, and that's impressive. So is Joey Decord. Oh. He's had an outstanding run. And the one guy that I think that's under the radar more than anybody is Connor Ingram. And he's 11th oh, yeah. in goals saved above average, and uh, he quietly has been going about his thing. I saw him up close in the uh, in person here, and I thought I thought he was awesome. <laughs> he was great against the Rangers, so we've seen a lot of him, and um, he's probably he'd be the one guy that's probably beneath the surface the most that would deserve that credibility to be able to just get a little more of a household name. Mm-hmm. And a great story, too. Like, it's guys like that. I mean, you know this, Steve. Like, there are some guys that you just naturally have to cheer for. Connor Ingram's one of those guys. Like, when you look at the backstory, yeah. he's he's yeah. someone you can't help but getting behind. Um, like we're fresh out of time. It's, guy, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, imagine that, eh? Look at that. Um, we're out of time here. Uh, I, I always say this. I wish we had more time. Um, you're the best. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. I mean, it must be fun uh, watching the Rangers now. It's must-watch TV for me and a lot of other people as well. When the Rangers are playing, you park it and you watch. Uh, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll catch up soon. All right, buddy. Take care. Great chatting with you. You as well. Steve Valakat, MSG Rangers analyst, also from ClearSight Analytics. Uh, as you can tell, like some of the stuff that, uh, that Steve has access to and some of the things that his company tracks uh, are, uh, are world leaders and goaltender leaders. And again, like whenever you hear Woodley on this program, Kevin Woodley from InGoal, he'll always talk about ClearSight Analytics and here's what the numbers say. ClearSight Analytics, here's what the numbers uh, say. Like I know we're still... You know, in as far as you know, evaluating and measuring how uh, how players work and how goaltenders work, analytics is still in a kind of infancy. Um, but right now, like the the numbers and the facts that uh, ClearSight gives, um, is really uh, really a sharp focus on exactly how good a goaltender is, and conversely how bad some goaltenders are as well. Okay, in the meantime, it is time to bring aboard Matt Marchese one more time because it is time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Maddie, choose a game from Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. Uh, it's the Senators at the Oilers. The puck line is Oilers minus one and a half. Edmonton is 11 and two against the Sens in the last 13 overall and six and one in the last seven in Edmonton. The over has hit in seven of the last 10 Sens games overall. I wonder if it's because they can't keep the puck out of their net. Yeah, there was that. You know, I, and I can't help wondering, though, too, at the same time. Like, it's been a real struggle for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, the coaching change really did not accomplish uh, much of anything other than maybe to calm down a lot of fans. 
uh, in Ottawa, a lot of people that were screaming for change, and it was becoming, you know, pretty obvious that whenever Ottawa lost at home, it was a really negative place. Um, at the Canadian Tire Centre. But if you're looking for the uh, the dead cat bounce, as teams like, well, Edmonton or teams like Minnesota uh, have enjoyed after changing their coaches, you didn't get it in Ottawa. Um, so in that regard, maybe this one's kind of a trap game for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll, we'll see, but uh, the McDavid show uh, continues and he continues to, to climb up the, uh, up the, uh, up the charts for the Art Ross trophy as well. And, you know, Edmonton, it's one of the great stories that we're following. When you look at comebacks, you know, how far away they were to a playoff spot uh, to where they are now is remarkable. Uh, that was line change presented by sports interaction, Edmonton, Ottawa, one of the games on hockey night in Canada tomorrow, your homegrown sports book, sports interaction bets local. Uh, a lot of people to thank for today's program. Uh, Steve Valiquette, whom you just heard from, Gord Stellick, uh, Mike Russo, who stopped by to talk about soap operas and the big soap opera called Winnipeg versus Minnesota. Uh, Ken Danico from uh, MSG+. Plus. Um, it is the New Jersey Devils facing off against the Chicago Blackhawks, one of three games on the go around the NHL tonight. Also, Carolina and Washington. The Winnipeg Jets face off against the Anaheim Ducks and kicked it off with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Uh, thanks to Matt Marchese. Thanks to David Siss, Andrew Adams, and the great Jen Rolnick for trying to make me look decent on television. That is not an easy task. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Relatively light night. Only three games. Then the action picks up again tomorrow. Whether it's Hockey Night in Canada or any of the other games you watch, enjoy it. We're back for more of the Merrick Show Monday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Have a great weekend.